Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. How are you guys doing? You are at church. You made it. Thank you for being here today with us. If you're brand new uh, to ACF, we're just glad that you're spending the morning uh, with us in this conversation we're having about our problems with God. So uh, we started last week into talking about the will of God. This week we're going to get even deeper talking about the existence of pain and suffering and evil. So um, yay church. It's going to be good. A good conversation. And thanks for coming to 9 a.m. by the way. Um, If you're typically an 11 a.m. person and you can't come Wednesday but you've migrated to 9 a.m. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, We're just continuing to need space in 11 a.m. And so if you have friends that go there, uh, drag them to 9 a.m. Would love you to do that as well. So, um, man, I'm so excited about what's going on here in our church, in our community, um, and, and the conversations that are happening. I'm hearing about so many great conversations. And if you're kind of wondering what this series is really about, um, the goal wasn't and is not to answer all of your God questions or God problems. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I have 40 minutes, so uh, I, I can't do that in 40 minutes, and, and maybe I couldn't do it anyway. Uh, the goal is not to end the conversation, but actually to start the conversation. And so I want to encourage you, after church today, maybe you never do this, but would you just grab somebody next to you and say, hey, let's just go grab some biscuits and gravy and talk about the topic. Let's go grab some lunch together and discuss this a little deeper. Get to know some people around you, and I just I want you to know that even if you don't have all the answers, and even if you uh, are still kind of confused about the topic, you will have more peace because you'll know that other people are in it with you. And, and that's really been the goal is that we take some of these closed-door conversations and we make them open-door conversations. These things that some people may not have even had the, the, uh, the ability to share with other people that they're concerned about or scared about uh, when it comes to their faith in God or their lack of faith. And then we talk about them openly, and when we do, we start to realize we're not the only ones. Uh, I just want you to know, whatever it is that you're wrestling with God, you're not the only one. And there's some peace in that, that somebody else probably in this room today has had the thought or has the same thought that you do when it comes to your 
God problem. So last week we talked about how does God's will work, um, what is he doing, and, and how is he working this world together, how do I hear God's voice and follow him in my life, and, and this week we're going to get into the problem of pain and evil, and I just want you guys to know, um, this is not just a conversation, this is like the conversation. Um, if you've ever talked with somebody who doesn't believe in God, they probably at some point in the conversation would say something like, um, I cannot believe in a God that allows such bad things to happen to good people, right? And we've all felt this before, even if you're a believer in Jesus, you felt this feeling of like, this just shouldn't be. That the world is broken, that there's things that happen on a, on a local scale, on a personal scale, on a global scale that we're just like, oh, I, I, there's something in my spirit, in my heart that says this is not the way things were intended to be. And if you just watch the news, right? I mean, you watch the news for five minutes, you realize that things are, things are pretty messed up. Uh, and I was just watching some things this week. We're going to launch right into some things that have gone on. And so you guys know, uh, on February 14th, a gunman opened fire on students at a Florida high school. Did you see that on the news? And if you're anything like me, when you see something like this that happens... Um, it's almost sad there's a numbness that starts to come about you, right? Like, yep, it happened again. Uh, it's not local, so we kind of distance ourselves from it. And yet, at the same time, we hear about things like that, and we, we got to ask ourselves, why, right? I mean, any, any person in this room would just be, why? This is just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't get why this continues to happen. Why can't we stop this? Why can't we figure this out? How do we crack the code to, to, to stop this from happening? I was reading about some natural things that have happened over the past few years. Summer of 2017, monsoon rain caused devastation in parts of India, Bangladesh, and Nepal, killing more than 1,200 people. And age agencies called it uh, the worst regional humanitarian, humanitarian crisis in years, with more than 40 million people affected by monsoon rain, right? For us, we're like, yeah, it's raining, we just go on with life. Uh, in parts of the world, when it rains, it rains a lot, and when it rains a lot, people die. And you've just got to go like, okay, I, if you're not connected to that personally, we can hear about these things and go, yeah, that's kind of bad, I don't know, but it's not my family. But we go, okay, if it were my family, we'd be broken. And, and I think as a room, we can all say this is not how it was intended to be. Um, I would guess in a room this size that probably everybody here, uh, to one degree or another, has been affected by cancer. Uh, right? I mean, most of us have a family member or a friend that has dealt with cancer. Maybe you have had a cancer diagnosis. According to cancer.org, in 2018, listen, these numbers are crazy. There will be an estimated 1,735,350 new cancer diagnosis in the next year, and 609,640 cancer deaths in the United States alone. So, it's getting darker in here. I can feel it, right? Because you just start to hear these statistics, and the numbers are mind-boggling, and you go, this, is not, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's just, it's a, it's a mess. And so what we want to do is, is acknowledge that there is suffering and evil in the world. Acknowledge that, that man, it doesn't make sense, and I don't get it why, why that's, it's this way. And then we want to go to the scriptures, understand what does God actually have to say? What do we believe about this as Christians? So if you're peering in from the outside, I just want to give you some context for what we believe about pain and evil uh, as Christians. So can we pray together and we'll get into this today. God, we acknowledge that um, not only the world is broken, but we ourselves are broken. And uh, God, as we look at our own lives, we see uh, messes and things that have gone wrong and things that we've caused even with pain in our own lives and pain in other people's lives. 
And so, God, we want to we call out that there is evil in the world around us. It's not how you intended it to be. It's not how you created it to be. And yet, God, we want to see a greater picture and a vision for what, God, you want to see in the world. So uh, speak to our hearts. We pray that you would replace our fear and our confusion with peace and with clarity and with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, we, we love to laugh a lot in church. We love to have a lot of fun. But this morning's like, it's a, it's a little heavier. I get that. But I, I feel like because of the topic, we, we just have to launch right into this and deal with some of the reality. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I remember vividly the first moment that I realized that I, that, that I was going to die, that my family was going to die. And I remember as a kid, this is a vivid memory. We were living in Plattsburgh, New York, upstate New York, and we were stationed there. My dad was in the Air Force, and uh, I just, I, I woke up. It was like 10 o'clock at night. My parents were in the kitchen. They were doing some bills or whatever, and this fear hit me, and this realization, I think I was about seven years old, that my parents weren't going to be around forever. And it's funny, you know, you kind of know these things as a kid, but then there's these, these watershed moments as a child that it all kind of, kind of makes sense. And I remember walking out of my bedroom, walking to the kitchen table. There's my parents, and, and they're sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like, guys, I'm so upset. They're like, what's wrong, buddy? And I'm like, you're going to die, right? And they're like, what? What, is, what kind of dream is this? Is this a prophecy? What's going on? And, and we're like, no, no. Like, I just realized that, that we're, we're mortal beings. We're all going to go away at some point. And there's this realization that hits us, and we, we know in our hearts, even if you don't know about God or believe in God, that there's... There's something wrong with that. It's not how it's supposed to be. This idea of evil and suffering is a universal problem. It's not just an American problem or your or my problem. It's a universal problem. And I want to say that it's a, it is a problem for us as the church, that we need to have answers and great conversations about this. Uh, I mean, there is a time for silence, and I want to encourage you, if somebody's suffering or dealing with hard things, there's a time just to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. But there is a, there, there's a difference between saying nothing and not having anything to say, right? Like, we should have some things to say when it comes to suffering and evil in the world. In fact, uh, John Stott says this. He says, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. This is the greatest challenge that we have to communicate to the world. Like, hey, no, God is good and God is loving. And your friends are like, I've read the Old Testament, bro. Like, I don't know how loving he really is, and, and so if you cherry-pick these certain parts of the story, you start to criticize what, what God is doing and, and not understand really what the greater narrative is that's going on there, which happens all the time. And so we have to acknowledge this is a difficult issue, and so we have to deal with it. Now, how do most people deal with evil and with suffering? I want to talk about a few different ways that we tend to deal with evil and with suffering. The first is this, that, that we believe that there, there is no God, and so we just simply avoid it. We avoid evil, we avoid suffering, we avoid pain, right? So we, we say, okay, things are so bad, this isn't how it's supposed to be. How could there be any God if things are this bad in the world? So we say, okay, there is no God, I'm just going to do my best to avoid pain and suffering. And so then we start arguing about how do we fix the problems in the world, right? And so it's, it's, more, it's more gun control and it's more, you know, uh, medical, like we can, can fix cancer, can we find the cause and the cure for cancer and we try to figure out a way to, to get through that. And I want to say these are important conversations and things to work through, but in the end it's, it's not going to fix the problem of evil and suffering in the world, right? It's going to redirect it, we'll see it in new areas every, every day. And so there, that's one way to deal with it, is just to say, uh, you know, there is no God, I'm not going to call it evil, 
but I would say that there are things that are wrong in the world. Let's just fix it and, and let's move on. So that's one way to deal with it. But in the end, you start to struggle with, well, who am I to call certain things wrong and, and other things not wrong? And in fact, the author C.S. Lewis dealt with this tension in his life. He uh, was, a, was an atheist trying to disprove Christianity, and in the journey, he actually found faith in Christ. And here's what he says about his unbelief in God and when it comes to things being right and wrong in the world. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. Many of us have been there, right? There's no God, the world's a mess. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own, but if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. Do you get the idea? This idea that like, we all have a shared sense of that, this idea that things are wrong in the world. We all in this room, there, there's, there are things that if we saw it, we would all agree are just not okay. There's a certain sense that humans have, have, have rights and that we should be valued. And when people aren't valued or people who seem innocent are, are abused or mistreated, that we all in the room in general would be like, no matter where we come from, we'd say that's wrong. It just shouldn't be that way. And so C.S. Lewis deals with this feeling that, that where, does, where does this idea of wrong come from? I mean, in the end, can't we all just say it's, it's survival of the fittest, right? The strong, you know, live, the weak die, and if that's how it works out, that's how it works out. But then as humans, we go, no, I can agree with that on, on some scientific level, but over here, maybe if I don't believe in God, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I think certain things are wrong? If nothing, if there is no God, really anything is permitted. It's all just your personal opinion. That you can decide what's wrong, I can decide what's wrong. Different kinds of discrimination and harassment and abuse, we can just say, well, maybe it's wrong for you, it's not wrong for me. But that's not okay, is it? We all would say, no, there is a, there is a true line. There are certain things that we would call right and wrong. And I believe that that is, the, that is God written into our hearts as humans. That is the, the fingerprint of God on us. So that's one way to deal with evil. There, the, another way to deal with it is to say there is a God, but he's limited. God's limited. Like, he'd love to do something about your pain and your suffering and the evil in the world, but he just can't. He's limited. Maybe you don't believe that God is actually all-powerful and, and able at any moment to, to make changes in the world. And this is a—it it, it may seem at first like a great way to deal with pain and suffering, but in the end, you undermine who God is. In the end, you, you change who God really is to say that he is limited. And it may give you a little peace at first to be like, no, I can love God. He just can't do anything about my pain right now. But in the end, it's like, what kind of God is that? Right? And so um, I would, author Tim Keller talks about it like this because this God that we would say, well, maybe is limited, we also blame him for all the pain and suffering that we see in the world. And he says this. He says, how can God be big enough to blame for evil but not big enough to have good reasons for its existence that you do not yet understand? Isn't that interesting? We say God is to blame for all evil, but we assume that, that we should understand why it exists or what he's doing in the world. Once again, 
this answer for evil is not adequate. There is a God, but he's limited. He can't fix it. He can't do anything about it, but I'm going to blame him for all of it, right? Not a great answer for evil. Uh, another answer potentially for you is that there is a God, but he isn't good. So some of us have this relationship with God, like, oh, there is a God. He could do something about evil, but he's just not good. He doesn't want to. Um, you know, he's not actually a good God. I don't know if you've ever met somebody with a dark side before. Somebody who seems really nice, and you spend a little time with them, and then this other side of them comes out, and you're just like, whoa, where did that come from, right? We were, we were your friends, you think you know them well, then you get into traffic with them, and you're like, I didn't know they knew language like that, and it just comes out, and, and you realize, like, we all as humans, we all have a dark side, don't we? I mean, put you, put me in the, in the right situation at the right time, and you will see the worst part of who we are, and it's in there, isn't it? Like, it's in there. Put on enough pressure, uh, you know, enough kids screaming in the back seat, uh, you know, enough stress at work, enough marital discord, enough, you know, disorganization in my house, and all of a sudden, the worst of me comes out. God is not that way. This is not, once again, a good God that we would want to follow if there is a God, but he's just not actually good. Number four, another way of dealing with it is that there is a God, but he's not involved. So he's good, he's all, he, he's all powerful. And yet at the same time, he sits up there and he puts his feet up and he's just like, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. I see the, the world, he's kind of a distant father. He's got the recliner up, you know, he's sipping a beer and he's just like, I'm just not going to worry about the pain and the suffering that I see in the world. And, and it's interesting, a lot of people view God that way. Like this is the deistic God, or some people have called it the, the clockmaker view of God. That God sort of spun the world into existence and then he steps back and he's like, let's just see what happens. Let's just watch the chaos, right? Once again, you got to go like, is that a good God? It doesn't fix the problem with evil. It doesn't help us to deal with this at all. Number five, another way of dealing with it is this idea that there is a God, but he's restricted by free will. Now, this is a divisive one. This is going to be fun. Because this is a big topic, and we all love our free will, right? Americans... We love, we are red-blooded Americans. We love our free will. We love that there is no one controlling our lives or killing, telling us what to do. And I, and, and I want you to know, as, as Christians, we do believe that there is free will, that God, for it to be love between us and God, there has to be a choice, right? So we had to have a, a choice to love God. And so there is a, an element of free will. And yet, as I read the scriptures, I see God intervening and interrupting on people's free will all the time. And as I look at my life, I see God interrupting my free will all the time. And so there's a tension here in that God gives us free will, and yet we don't have free reign. You see the difference? We have free will, but not free reign. And, and in the end, if, if we were honest, we're like, no, well, God can't intervene with my free will because that wouldn't be love. I, wanna, I want you to think about, like, as a parent, if somebody, as a parent, sees their kid doing something terrible or hurting themselves or hurting others, would it not be loving for you to intervene if you could? Certainly, we'd say, no, that's, that's loving. Billy's running into traffic. No, don't stop him. It's free will. It's free will. He made the choice on his own. Enjoy yourself. Of course not. We'd never do that. So it, obviously, these two can work together somehow, right? Obviously, there can, there can be free will and not free reign, and for there to be a, a way for you to give uh, freedom and yet also to intervene when, when you need to intervene. And other times, you don't intervene, and you let people uh, struggle with things and work through it. And here's the classic ways uh, of describing this issue. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, either God is all-powerful, but he's not good, or God is good, but he's not all-powerful. That's a simple way of describing the tension that we feel in this. 
Either God is all-powerful, but he's not good. He could do something, but he doesn't feel like it. He's not a good God. Or he's really good, but he's not all-powerful. He, he just can't really do anything about it, either by free will or his own inability. Like, God's unable to fix this. So, this is the tension. Now, how do we deal with this tension in our own hearts? Um, and for many of you, you've never maybe even wrestled through this or struggled through this before. Uh, maybe you've never had the conversation that there is a concern about this and that maybe you struggle with God because of the evil in the world. I want you to know that, that step one in dealing with evil and pain and suffering in the world is bringing it to God. And this may seem a little strange, but I want you to know that the God that you're struggling with or the God that you're struggling to believe in actually wants to hear from you. And he's actually big enough to deal with the tension in the relationship. And that it's not a reason to distance yourself from the church or to distance yourself from Christians or from God himself. But it's actually a reason to lean in and have these hard conversations. And, and the Bible is not silent about this type of thing. Even some of these verses that we read about dealing with suffering make us uncomfortable to some degree. Uh, Psalm 22, this is King David dealing with pain and suffering. He says this in verse 1, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. There's a place for these words. I want you to know that. Like you might have come in here dealing with some pain and suffering, and there's a, a place to, and even if you were to pick this part, you could almost be like, this is not even theologically sound. The man isn't preaching theology. He's just pouring his guts out to God. And I just want you to know there is a place to do that. And even in the scriptures, we see David dealing with pain and suffering and going, God, why, are you, why have you left me? Why, why, why have you forsaken me? And I just want you to know that the kind of Christianity that we're about here at ACF Church is the kind that promotes radical honesty in our lives. And that we as Christians should be the most honest people, able to deal with all of our concerns and questions. So the next thing is, I think, understanding the evil that you're dealing with, whatever it may be, is important, that there's a few different kinds of evil. Uh, the first would be natural evil, as we talked about earlier, like tsunamis and monsoons and things that we see that um, I would say are not per God's original design for the world, right? Do you realize the world was never intended to have monsoons and tsunamis that kill millions of people and earthquakes that swallow up people? These natural disasters that happen, you know, it's not actually supposed to be that way. That's not how God created the world. So we would, we would call it evil. Some people outside of the church might just call it, you know, wrong or, you know, it's, it's a bad thing that it happens. We would say it's actually evil because it's contrary to God's will or plan for the original earth. Uh, we would also say that there is natural evil and moral evil. This would be murder, abuse, things that you or I or other people have done to hurt other people in the world. Again, you might just say it's wrong, but even it's interesting, there are people who don't believe in God, but they would call certain things evil. They would, they would be like, okay, there are things that are wrong in the world, but then there are certain things or even people that you would determine to be evil people. And once again, that term evil, for us to believe that there's something that is evil is for us to actually acknowledge this, this higher power and this deeper spiritual battle that happens in the world around us. So what do we believe about this evil that we see around us? Like, where, where did it come from? Why is it this way? Well, Romans 5, verse 12 says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So, 
this, the book of Romans is all about this understanding of our sinful nature and God's free grace and redemption through that. And so we start off as a baseline, and this makes, makes people squirm every time I say it, but we start off as a baseline as Christians believing that we as people are actually not good. Like apart from the grace of God, that we are actually not good. That we don't just sometimes lie, it's that we're actually liars. And that we don't just sometimes cheat, it's that we're actually cheaters, right? It's that at, a, at an identity core, a core level apart from God that we're twisted people. And the classic example of that is always just that you don't have to teach your children to sin, right? They just come out of the womb learning to, you know, pull their sister's hair and steal toys from their friend. Like we all started life that way and now we just kind of learn to hide it better. And we, we let it out at certain times, right? And then other times it just kind of comes out at the worst moments. But I think if we're honest at a, at a base level, and I know that, man, if you're unchurched and you're just coming in today, that this, this is not what you want to hear. And it's not what I want to hear, honestly, either. I like to think I'm a good person. But if I'm really honest with myself, I realize that at, at a core level, that there's, there's evil inside of me. And that I think things, man, if you guys... If you guys could see on the screen half the things that go through my mind, you'd fire me as a pastor. I'm just telling you. You're like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. If I saw half the things you thought up on this screen, we'd kick you out of church, right? You would, that's how we feel. But we know that because if we're honest, we know that there's evil inside of us. And it's not just something we do. It actually comes from who we are. That's where it hurts, right? It's not just something I let out once in a while. It's actually, at a base level, who we are. And so if you want to write this down, evil originated in us, not God. We, we believe that evil originated in us, not in God. God is not evil at all. Even in the things that you struggle with or you struggle to have answers to, or even, like I said earlier, as you read through Old Testament stories, which I'd encourage you, don't just cherry-pick stories out of the Old Testament. Don't watch the first part of the movie without watching the end of the movie. Uh, you're not going to understand what's going on. You're just going to criticize it. And so uh, read the whole story. Have good conversations about things that seem like God is being evil in this moment. He's not. He's not ever evil all the, at any time. First John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no darkness. Not just a little bit. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So God's not even like wanting to dip his toes into the pool of evil once in a while. He's not, which, which we are, right? Come on, you've been in a situation, go to Vegas for a couple days, right? And you know that you're like, I don't know, there's some stuff here that could get me in trouble. And, and there's part of us that wants to kind of dip our toes into the pool of evil, and yet God, God's not that way. He's not tempted by evil in any way, and God does not tempt you into evil. It's not God himself stringing you along to see how far you can go, how evil you can become. That's not the God that we believe in as Christians. And so, so originated, evil originated in us. Now, who is God himself? I think that's important. Because in the end, this conversation kind of puts God on trial. We have a problem with God because God isn't, to our um, understanding, doing enough about the evil in the world. So we struggle with who he is. So here are a few things that we believe about God. For, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this is what we do believe, is that God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. So we believe that God is all-powerful all the time. 
Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this means that God is omniscient. In other words, God is all-knowing. He knows about everything that's going on in the world. Some of you are like, that's bad news. Because if he knows about it, then, then why isn't he doing what I want him to do? But it's actually good news because what God knows about, he can redeem. What God knows about, he can actually rescue. What God knows about, he can fix. And so God knows all things. That means that God can work a plan to heal all things. In fact, he did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he said, This man, being Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. In other words, the plan of redemption through Christ Jesus was actually set in place not after sin came into the world, but before it. Actually, before time ever began, God had a plan for restoration of the world, which is a mind-bender, I get it. But when we think about it, we have to understand that that God wasn't like reacting to our sin. He didn't watch Adam and Eve in the garden and see them sin and go, oh man, what are we going to do? That's what we do, right? Because we aren't omniscient, we don't know all things. But God being all-knowing knew it would happen, set a plan in motion before time began to heal the world. Next is this, God is omnibenevolent. Once again, I want to I just, at a character level, help you to understand that we believe God is all good, always good, all the time. And we say that. It's another one of our Christian phrases. God is good all the time, except last Tuesday when, like, my kids were a mess and I got fired from my job. Like, we, we struggle with this. We say it, but at the same time, we're like, God wasn't good in that moment. But we need to know at a character level that God is all good. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Okay, so this is who God is. Now, here is where it gets even deeper. This is the question. This is really where it starts to dig in, is this question. Does knowing something will happen make you responsible for it happening? So we just made a baseline theological view for who God is. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good. Okay, that's great. But then there's all this terrible stuff that happens in the world. And so the first thing that we do is we begin to blame God, right? We say, God, you are responsible for this because you knew it would happen, because you're not doing what I think you should do in this moment, and you could. You could do it. Now, for me, as I wrestled with this this week, and I really, I really wrestled through this topic this week, um, I thought a lot about my role as a parent. Uh, I learned so much about life, and I even think about God and, and who he is by parenting my own little broken children, right? Who I love, but, you know, we're, we're all broken people, and and I, I just think about how Amanda and I, we made a decision to have kids. Like, some of you are like, it's a surprise, right? Which I just want you to know, it's, it wasn't. But um, <laughs> we won't go there. But we had a plan. We, we uh, planned to have kids and chose to have children. And, and I remember walking through the process of thinking about what this would mean for my life. Right? As a parent, you think about all the changes and the diapers, and I, and I, was, I got this kid to care for, and this is, this is going to change my life. But I didn't think as much, I'll be honest, about the person that I was bringing into the world. I thought a lot about myself because I'm selfish, back to that square one. I'm selfish, and so I thought a lot about myself, but not so much about what it meant for this human being. That I chose, and my wife, she helped a little bit, helped... Uh, <laughs> Bring a child into this world, and I want you to know, here's what we knew. We knew that that child would experience pain and suffering. We knew that that child was going to go through very difficult things, that the child would feel loneliness, 
that that child would be born into a world of sin, that, that we, di- we didn't know anything about what would happen, and yet at the same time, we chose to bring that child into the world. Now, based on the logic that we'd say, does knowing something will happen make you responsible f- for it happening? I guess that would mean that we're responsible for everything that happens to our kids in this world. And I want you to, like, as a parent, you go, well, I mean, to some degree, but at the same time, no. Like, there's just going to be things that are, that are going to happen in this world, and we know it's coming, but we wouldn't say that we're responsible for it. Here's another thing. So then as our children grow up, we're actually going to put them in circumstances, in, in situations where they're going to hurt, and it's going to be hard. I just remember when my little boy, Grayson, I was teaching him to ride a bike, and I remember going, okay, this is going to be lots of tears, and it's going to be bloody knees, and it's going to be like, he's going to want to quit. And then I'm going to have to talk him into doing it again. And so, you know, we launch into teaching him how to ride a bike. And he rides in circles. And he biffs it on the ground. And his, you know, elbow's bleeding. And it's tears and crying. And, and it, I knew that something good was going to come out of the process, right? So as a parent, I have some knowledge of what's coming that my child does not. And I see a, a greater narrative that's going to happen. Buddy, you want to learn how to ride a bike. No, I don't, right? It's not worth it. No, you do. Trust me. This is good for you. You need to learn how to ride a bike. And then after a while, he deals with the pain and he, he learns, right? It's interesting. When you think about it that way, you start to go like, as parents, we just, we know things our kids don't, but we wouldn't say that we're responsible or guilty of the pain that happens to them just because we know that it's coming, we always know it's coming. Maybe you're saying, well, that's fine as a parent. That's a fine analogy. But there are limits, aren't there? I mean, there are limits of the pain that you would allow your child to go through, right? Well, think about it. You chose to bring a life into the world, if you're a parent, knowing that one day they would die, right? Knowing one day they would deal with what we call as people the ultimate evil, which is death. We feel like death is the ultimate evil, so we're like, man, this child is going to deal with the ultimate evil. They're going to deal with pain and death in their lives. And yet we still chose to have these children. One of the God problem questions that were texted in was this. If God knew mankind would sin, why would he put the tree in the garden? Why would he ever allow them to even be tempted by this? You can write this down. True obedience and love come with a choice to not be obedient or loving. I, I think God wanted to have a real relationship with us, and, and had God not put the tree in the garden or the opportunity for us to deal with pain in the world, he would not have given us the opportunity to give him the love that he wanted to give us because it would not have been truly love or obedience, right? You have a child, they're six months old, you put them in the crib, you come back an hour later, they don't move, you don't go, I have such an obedient child, right? I told them to stay there, and they're still there. They couldn't move if they wanted to, right? For them to be obedient or loving, they had to have a choice. They had to have the ability to be not obedient or unloving. And so because of that, God gave us a choice, which comes back to our previous question. So would it have been better that we all just never existed? Uh, Some of you have gotten to this point in the conversation where you're like, well, okay, that's fine, but it's so bad in the world. Wouldn't it have just been better that God had never created us, that we'd never had to deal with any of this? And I just come back to the illustration of a parent and a child. Would it just be better had you never had this child? Would it just be better had you never had the opportunity to love this little? No guarantees, right? When you have a child, you don't know if they're going to love you. 
You don't know if they're going to follow you. You don't know if they're going to want nothing to do with you. You're like, I got a 17-year-old. I know that, right? Like, they want nothing to do with me right now. And, and what, maybe you've thought this before. Like, what was I thinking having children? And yet, at the same time, I think we know at a deep spiritual level that it's worth it. Like, it's worth it. It's, it's a gift. It's, it, sure, are there risks? Absolutely. But it's such a gift. And I, I think that God sees this, this the same way. That at the same time as he sees all of the pain and suffering that we experience, all of the choices that we make, make that hurt ourselves or hurt others, that he sees such an opportunity for good. And that's his desire, is that he would be in a right relationship with us. And that we have a loving God, an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, a good God that is constantly trying to draw us close to himself and away from the things that destroy us. And that's what we believe, and in fact, the, the Bible's full of stories like this. In, in fact, most stories, the entire story is about redemption. It's about God's people constantly walking away with what he says is best for them, hurting themselves, hurting others, and then coming back to God and, and pleading for him to accept them and bring them back into the family. A great example of this is the story of Joseph, if you've ever read about Joseph. In fact, coming up to the end of, of Genesis, there's this interesting moment where Joseph is confronted with his brothers. And if you don't know the story, Joseph kind of started off life a little arrogant, like most of us do. And uh, he, he goes to his brothers and he tells them about how they're going to be servants to him and you know, they don't love that, right? And so then they sell him into slavery and he deals with this really harsh, difficult season um, of his life. He, he got some evil put onto him. But through that situation, he actually began to work his way up and, and ended up becoming uh, second in power just to, to Pharaoh himself. And so this man worked his way out of his dark situation and, and became this man of high authority and high power in their, in their uh, community. And so now he comes face to face with his brothers, and they think they're gonna, he's going to kill them, right? I mean, they're scared for their lives. Now they, they know, like, we did the wrong thing. We put our own lives at risk. And here's what it says in Genesis 50, verse 20. It says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is a beautiful picture of what I believe is going on in the world, is that what we intend for harm, God intends for good is God is constantly redeeming and, and bringing beautiful things out of terrible, dark situations. Things that God, once again, as we see the story in creation, he never created it to be this way. Sin and brokenness and evil did not originate in God, but in us. And so in that, we, we shake our fists at God, but we need to see the story of redemption, what we intended for harm, what we chose to do out of selfishness our own vain ambition, God intends to use for good. So here's a few things in the face of evil and suffering to believe. The first is this. We may not know why something happened, but we do know why some things happen. Does that make sense? You may not know exactly why you're going through this specific thing, but if you zoom out a little bit, you see the world, and you see what we just talked about, you realize, I understand why these things happen. Because it's a broken, messed up world, and, and I make a lot of terrible choices. So the evil that I hate, I also contribute to. There's another thing to wrestle with. We hate the evil in the world, but we also contribute to it. And so we don't know exactly why everything happened, but we know why some things happen. I don't know why maybe you got a cancer diagnosis, but I know why cancer exists. Does that make sense? 
And I don't know why this man walked into a school in Florida and shot these kids, but I do know why school shootings exist at a base level. I don't know why abuse happened to you, but I do know why abuse happens. Does that make sense? So we like to try to figure out exactly, God, what are you doing to me? What's going on here? Are you punishing me? What's the point of this? And what I want you to know is what we just said is that what someone or even you intended for evil, God intends for good. So we can believe these things. We don't know why something maybe happened. You may never get clarity, but we do know why some things happen. And at the same time, we see God's redemption through the darkest things. And and that moment of your life that was the, the worst moment is actually probably where God wants to use you in someone else's life. I love this statement in Joseph that, 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 that we see what God is using for good, the, the saving of many lives. I think this is the story of our darkness, that we go through dark things and we see life salvation in other people's lives as we share our story. So we understand this, that we may not know why some things happen or something happened, but we don't know, do know why evil exists in the world. The second thing is this, senseless suffering often brings us to our senses. Um, have you ever been confronted with such evil or darkness that you are just kind of shocked out of your routine and forced to, to deal with who are you? These big life questions, who am I? Who is God? Where is this life going? What's the purpose of all of this? That's what senseless suffering does in ways that other things can't. In fact, I know that suffering draws this out in my life in ways that good seasons do not. God can bless me with, you know, like my family's going well and life's going well and, you know, I think, oh, this is great. And yet I'm not very aware of deeper things. In fact, we see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. In other words, it's better to, I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. I uh, hope you go to one if you haven't been to one. But funerals are actually really important to go to. Not just to even support the family or um, just to, to mourn the loss of that person, but actually to deal with the reality of humanity and the brevity of life. And that's what you do at funerals. And, and so we read this, that there's something about senseless suffering, there's something about death that causes us to go, what is, what is the point? What is, what is going on in the world? Even Jesus, this is so interesting. I ran across this passage this week. I, it never stuck out to me, but even Jesus, through suffering, was, was brought to his senses to some degree. He, he actually learned some things. Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus actually learned some things through the suffering that he accomplished on the cross and the suffering even leading up to that. He learned some things about us. He learned about what we're dealing with in the world. We, we don't serve a God that's unfamiliar with our pain and suffering, but one who's actually suffered himself, a man who's called a man of sorrows. So Jesus himself knows of our suffering, understands our suffering, and we learn so much through suffering. Number three, this may be the most important one, is that the great, greatness of God's love is seen in contrast to our human brokenness. I just want you to think about a world where there is none of this. And once again, that's what we all hope for, and that's what we believe in. Um, as the church, we look forward to this day, this redemption of the world itself, where Jesus returns and makes every wrong right, and where this world is healed, it's better than ever. That's the day that we look forward to. And so that day is actually coming. But here we sit in our suffering, in 
our brokenness. And what's happening right now is God is seen as that much more beautiful in the face of our suffering and brokenness. I mean, when you really understand the love of God in contrast to what we see in the world, in contrast to our broken love, God's love becomes that much greater. In fact, there's a beautiful story in uh, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7, where there's this woman who is a prostitute who comes to the feet of Jesus, and um, he's in this house with a bunch of religious people, and um, they're not treating him very well, giving him much honor, but this woman shows up, and all she does is honor him. And she knows who she is. She knows she's a woman of the night, that she's got a bad past, and that she, she is a broken person. She's probably the kind of person that when I say, hey, we're, we're evil at our core apart from Jesus, she's probably the one that would be nodding her head going, uh-huh, I feel it. I feel I see that in my life. And so she hears about this man who can, who can, who can forgive you of your sins. And she bursts into the house and comes to his feet. She's washing his feet with her hair. She's weeping. It's just a, it's a, it's a mess, right, on the floor. And you got all these religious people sitting back, dishonoring Jesus. The woman who's broken honors Jesus. Verse 44 says this. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, this is the key, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So I want you to think about this. The existence of evil is a problem, and it's something that we need to wrestle with and deal with. But I want you to know that as we wrestle with it and deal with it, it actually highlights our desperate need for a Savior. And it shows us how good God truly is as he puts on the flesh of humanity, stoops down into our sin, and ultimately dies for us. So once again, deal with this, this tension. I, here's how we would like it, to, like, like it to have played out. We say, okay, God, you saw the evil was coming. I wish you would have never maybe had any of this happen. I wish you would have never created us. But I want you to think about the process here. What if that's how it would have gone? What if God would have seen into the future and seen that, okay, so I'm going to see that there's an opportunity for evil. There's going to be the tree in the garden. Mankind is going to choose sin. They will be overcome by sin and evil. And let's just say that then God said, so I'm not going to create mankind. I'm not going to do any of this. Just think about who wins in that narrative. Evil wins. Sin wins. Death wins. Instead, I just want to, I want to, I want to, in God's, all of his power, power and all of his knowing, he made a better plan. Think about it. He made a better plan. He said, I know mankind will sin, but I will set in place a plan of redemption for the world from before time began. The better story is that sin and death don't win, Jesus wins. And that's what we just celebrate. Your mind should immediately go, the cross, this is it. The cross, this is, this is the bigger story that God has planned out. John 10, 18, Jesus says, no one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge that I received from my Father. This is the story that, that we live in right now, this plan of redemption for the world. And so as you're screaming at God, would you do something? I think God is looking at the world going, I already did. I already did. I already planned to do something. Jesus already came. 
He already, he already came and rescued us from our sin and we one day will walk into this in fullness and we stand in this in-between moment where Jesus has come and the kingdom one day will be revealed in fullness and so right now it's broken and right now there's pain. But we long for what's coming next and we trust in God's character that he's good. And instead of trying to be God, we just love him more because he is God. So that's the problem of pain. I hope you talk about it more. I hope that you deal with the tension. I hope that you come out the other end knowing how loving God is in every single way. Let's pray together.